0: It's quite eerie, Tony. When you go back and you look at the grouping that was th- were the publicists for the British imperialists at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century,
1: and you look particularly at people like in the Fabian Society, people in the Coefficients club like H.G. Wells and uh, Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, and you see that they had a plan for reorganizing the world that would permit permanent control by their class, by Bertrand Russell's class, Wells was a commoner, Uh, but that would allow them to control through
2: mind control, through drugs, through culture, uh, the entire power over the universe, and they
0: wrote about it. Mr. Wells, have you any uh, uh, solution for the very unhappy state of affairs that uh, is facing the world today? It seems to me that many things besides the pound are threatened with collapse. The financial credit system is not working today. We we have increased the productivity of of our economic organization so greatly that a smaller and smaller proportion of people can produce everything that we need. The continuity is that a larger and larger number of people are being forced out of employment and are unable to consume. Well, remedies. For national competition, disarmament, reduction of armed forces and lowering of tariffs. Secondly, A currency, a world conference, and world action. And, as I've already said, for the third thing, overproduction, communal buying, public employment, public enterprise taking the place of private enterprise for profit.
1: wccradio.com Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. My name is Big D. It's time for another midweek edition. Thank you very much for joining me. I always appreciate it. Herbert George Wells, better known as H.G. Wells, is the topic of conversation today. And before we get into that, I want to let you know that you can always join the conversation here at down the RH at protonmail.com. Down the RH at protonmail.com. We love hearing from you. And today we're going to get into something I think is quite fascinating. I love patterns. I love history. I love how it connects to what's going on today. And if your eyes are wide open, you can see exactly what's going on. Some people call it conspiracy. I just call it connecting dots. And there is a book put out by John Coleman about the notorious committee of 300. If you listen to the midweek show, I did an entire show on the committee of 300. They're basically a group of powerful elites founded in I think 1727 by some British aristocracy, some higher ups who would like to rule the world. Are they the Illuminati? I don't know. They're certainly an arm of the Illuminati, if nothing else. Perhaps they control the Illuminati. We don't know. But they commissioned H.G. Wells, and you know H.G. Wells. He wrote Time Machine. He wrote The Island of Dr. Moreau, War of the Worlds, very famous author. They commissioned him at one point, the Committee of 300 did, to write an essay It is literally called The Open Conspiracy Plans for a World Revolution. So first, let's look at why they would choose H.G. Wells. Because the Committee of 300 and those in that circle who were running in and around this original group of the Committee of 300, these were very elite men, very powerful men, who were upper crust. They were at the higher echelon of the British society. And H.G. Wells came from very humble beginnings. His father was a grocer, and I don't remember what his mom did, but I believe she basically just supported the family. She was very religious by all accounts. H.G. Wells was not privileged in any way. He did not come from money. But he was very smart, and he eventually found himself being accepted to Imperial College where he studied science. He wanted to become a scientist. And his professor was T.H. Huxley, Thomas Henry Huxley. And Thomas Henry Huxley was a contemporary of and a staunch defender of Charles Darwin. In fact, he was known in certain circles as Darwin's bulldog because he so vehemently defended Darwin and Darwin's theories. T.H. Huxley is the grandfather of Adolf Huxley who wrote A Brave New World, which we have referenced on this program many, many times. If you have not read that book, that is mandatory reading because that is another blueprint for the Committee of 300's view of the future world, how it's going to look, how they want it to look. And Aldous Huxley ran in those same circles. Interestingly enough, H.G. Wells did become a science teacher for a short time. And a quick side note, A.A. Milne was one of his students. And if you're not familiar with who that is, that's the author of the Winnie the Pooh series. That's just a side note. Really has no no connection to what we're talking about today, but it's kind of interesting that all these people sort of crossed paths. One person who influenced H.G. Wells enormously was Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger famously the founder of Planned Parenthood, but more than that, a huge eugenicist, one of the most outspoken eugenicists of all time, really brought it into the forefront. And although H.G. Wells was married two or three times, had lots of affairs, he and Margaret Sanger were lovers between 1920 and 1946, on and off again. They basically had a 26-year affair. And he was an ardent defender of hers. He was part of several letter campaigns in her defense to statesmen, presidents, and so forth, people who were not receptive to her message. So H.G. Wells then took up writing. And many people believe that A lot of his writings, such as War of the Worlds and many of his other writings that were sci-fi in nature, were projections or predictions or predictive programming for what was coming, as being told to him by the Committee of 300. Now, I don't know that, but there are a lot of things that H.G. Wells wrote about that did come true later and so was it science imitating art, or was it art dictating science? I don't know that we'll ever truly know the answer to that, but that is a charge that is out there. What is not debatable, however, is this essay that he wrote, The Open Conspiracy Plans for a World Revolution. And in this open conspiracy, he, op- he begins with this statement. The open conspiracy will first appear, I believe, as a conscious organization of intelligent, and in some cases wealthy men, as a movement having distinct social and political aims, confessedly ignoring most of the existing apparatus of political control, or using it only as an incidental implement in the stages, a mere movement of a number of people in a certain direction who will presently discover with a sort of surprise, the common object towards which they are all moving. In all sorts of ways, they will be influencing and controlling the ostensible government. And in this governing body by Wells, he later names them as the Committee of 300, which he says would confessedly ignore most of the existing apparatus of political control and in turn established a one world government and a one unit monetary system under permanent, non-elected, hereditary oligarchs who self-select from among their numbers in the form of a feudal system as it was in the Middle Ages. He says there will be no middle class, only rulers and servants. All laws will be in uniform under a legal system of world courts practicing the same unified code of laws. Backed up by a one-world government police force and a one-world unified military to enforce laws in all former countries where no national boundaries shall exist. The system will be on the basis of a welfare state. Those who are obedient and subservient to the one-world government will be rewarded with the means to live. Those who are rebellious will simply be starved to death or be declared outlaws thus a target for anyone who wishes to kill them. Privately owned firearms or weapons of any kind will be prohibited. He also goes on to say, in this one world entity, population will be limited by restrictions on the number of children per family, diseases, wars, famines, until one billion people who are useful to the ruling class in areas which will be strictly and clearly defined, remain as the total world population. There will only be rulers and servants. Also, according to Wells, in this future world-controlled government, there will be no individual freedom or any concept of liberty. Likewise, national pride, racial identity will be stamped out, and the severest penalties will be brought against anyone who even so much as mentions their racial origins. He says marriage shall be outlawed. There should be no family life as we know it. Children will be removed from their parents at an early age and brought up by wards as state property. He also says the economic system shall be based upon the ruling oligarch ethical class allowing just enough food and services to be produced to keep the mass slave labor camps going. All wealth shall be aggregated in the hands of the elite members of the committee of 300. Each individual shall be indoctrinated to understand that he or she is totally dependent upon the state for survival. The world shall be ruled by the committee of 300. Executive decrees will become instant law. Industry is to be totally destroyed along with nuclear power and energy systems. Only the Committee of 300 members and their elitists shall have the right to any of the Earth's resources. Agriculture shall be solely in the hands of the Committee of 300 with fruit production strictly controlled. As these measures begin to take effect, large populations in the cities shall be forcibly removed to remote areas and those who refuse to go shall be exterminated in the manner of the One World Government Experiment carried out by Pol Pot in Cambodia. Also, later on in this essay, he writes, Industries of any kind allowed to remain shall be under the direction of NATO's Club of Rome, as shall all scientific and space exploration development limited to the elite under the control of the Committee of 300. And I did a show on the Club of Rome. It's another arm of the elite or the Illuminati, or however you want to put it. It's another one of these groups who intend on ruling the world. And so there they show up in this essay. Also, according to Wells, private banks will be outlawed. Remuneration for work performed shall be under a uniform predetermined scale throughout the one world government. There shall be no wage disputes allowed nor any diversion from the standard uniform scales of pay laid down by the one world government. Those who break the law will be instantly executed. There shall be no cash or coinage in the hands of the non-elite. All transactions shall be carried out by means of a debit card, which shall bear the identification number of the holder. Any person who in any way infringes the rules and regulations of the Committee of 300 shall have the use of his or her card suspended for varying times according to the nature and severity of the infringement. Such persons will find when they go to make purchases that their card is blacklisted and they will not be able to obtain services of any kind. Attempts to trade, quote, old coins, that is to say silver coins of previous and now defunct nations, shall be treated as a capital crime such as subject to the death penalty. All such coinage shall be required to be surrendered within a given time, along with guns, rifles, explosives, and automobiles. Only the elite, one-world government, high-ranking functionaries will be allowed private transport, weapons, coinage, and automobiles. And it goes on. It's everything you would expect it to be. H.G. Wells also wrote a book literally titled The New World Order in 1940 but this essay this open conspiracy the blueprint for a world revolution 100 percent outlines an open conspiracy to shape the future of the world by controlling the size of human population as well as establishing a singular concrete body with collective control over the planet and according to him guided by the committee of three hundred So a lot of times we get this idea or we're told that this is all in our head. We're just making it up. This is a new thing. It's only because of COVID. It's only because New World Order gets bantied about and that's not exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about business or they're talking about trade. But does any of the points that H.G. Wells are bringing up in this essay, and I'm going to put this link in the show notes. I highly recommend you go through it. I highly recommend you read it. Save it. Do any of them ring true with what is going on today? Is anybody taking over agriculture? Are they trying to take over automobiles? Are they trying to take sovereignty away from nations? Are they trying to flood nations with immigrants to weaken nations have they established bodies of oligarchs and non-elected officials who are making rules for nations any of this happening today or, or are we all just imagining it did HG Wells just have this uncanny knack of looking into the future and hitting a few things here a few things there I highly recommend that you read this article, and if you can get a hold of the essay, read the essay in full. It is well worth it. Also, according to John Coleman's book, The Story of the Committee of 300, he cites in his book, this is also a, an excerpt from this Open Conspiracy Blueprint, and this is what it says. At least 4 billion useless eaters shall be eliminated by the year 2050 by means of limited wars, organized epidemics of fatal rapid acting diseases and starvation. Energy, food and water shall be kept at subsistence levels for the non-elite, starting with the white population of Western Europe and North America and then spreading to the other races. The population of Canada, Western Europe, and the United States will be decimated more rapidly than on any other continent until the world's population reaches a manageable level of 1 billion, of which 500 million will consist of Chinese and Japanese races, selected because they are people who have been regimented for centuries and who are accustomed to obeying authority without question. I wonder why Klaus Schwab said that the New World Order and what's coming in the future world, the model is based on the Chinese model. Think he read this, or is this just coincidence? And speaking of Klaus Schwab, the elites have all gathered at Davos, and it is time for the World Economic Forum's soiree. And I'm keeping a close eye on it. It's it's going on right now, and there's a lot to go through, but I did find this interesting. To open the ceremony, they brought in an actor. His name is Idris Elba. I don't know who this guy is, but apparently he's been in the Fast and Furious, Suicide Squad, and so forth. And according to him, he claims that Davos has become the de facto platform for governments, for corporates, for philanthropists, for activism, for protesters to mobilize quickly. He says, quote, let's be frank, it's taken decades for corporates, for governments to understand, for economies to be built to last. We need to empower the youth. We need social equity. We need to protect our environment. Today, it is well recognized that the economic, social and natural well-being of our planet are completely Interrelated, and Davos may be one of the first platforms to get it. We understand the power and the change that can come from this room. Davos has become the de facto platform for governments, for corporates, for philanthropists, for activism, for protesters to mobilize quickly. We can move with agility and speed, and your speed is needed now. So, according to him, in his opening statements, to the Davos crowd, they are, in fact, the de facto platform for governments to mobilize. Governments can't do it themselves, so we need the World Economic Forum, and we need all the elites at Davos to put their heads together and mobilize and do it quickly, because they are the de facto platform for governments, for corporates, and for everybody else. They are the replacement. And that is how they see themselves. And as that moves ahead, probably within a couple of weeks, we'll take a look back at all the events that went on at Davos and what people said, what they talked about. It is quite interesting. I did notice, and if you've listened to this program, you'll, you'll know this name, Yuval Noah Harai, who has made outlandish statements and who for years was an advisor to Klaus Schwab. He has been removed from their page and they're distancing themselves from him, at least in public. And there are some rumblings under the surface because Klaus Schwab, I believe, is 85. They know he's not going to live forever, but he has a God complex and he runs that organization because he started it with an iron fist and they're not sure which way it's going to go when he goes And so there's a lot of rumblings as to what's going to happen and he's fighting back. So there's some infighting and they're doing some damage control inside there. And we'll get into all of that on a later program. Let's get into some of the news of the day. Some things that are going on that I believe play right into the hands of what H.G. Wells was telling us. This is according to Breitbart News, Hans Schellenhumer from the Postdam Institute for Climate Impact Research said this week that an individual carbon dioxide limit should be applied to every person in order to establish a planetary guardrail, an effort to combat alleged man-made climate change. He claims that every person should have a limit of three tons of CO2 em- emissions per year and those who exceed their limit should be forced to pay for the pleasure. According to him, those who emit over three-ton limit by the middle of the century would need to privately purchase credits from those who are under the limit, he suggested. Every person gets three tons, but if you need more, you just have to buy it. According to him, 10 tons of CO2 emissions are produced every year by the average citizen, citing the Paris World Inequality Lab, There are some millionaires within the country that produce over 100 tons of CO2 per year and some thousands of elites worldwide emit over 2,000 tons per year. And according to this article last year at the World Economic Forum's meeting in Davos, Alibaba President Michael J. Evans said the Chinese tech giant is currently developing a digital, quote, individual carbon footprint tracker to monitor the emissions of the public. And so there you go. We've talked about this before, and now they're calling for it again. Individual carbon credits. You get, only get so much, and if you go over it, then you're going to have to buy from somebody else, somebody who hasn't used them all. And if you're only allowed 3,000 carbon credits a year, you're having to reduce your carbon output by 70%. That would be impossible, Also coming out of the World Economic Forum, this is according to Fortune magazine, in a forever attempt to keep us scared and on our toes. According to the World Economic Forum, we are in a new polycrisis. Multiple concurrent economic, political, and ecological shocks are converging to rock the globe in the next decade, and the world is playing catch-up to address them. And of course, it goes on and they have the answer. But we're in a polycrisis era if you weren't aware so hold on to your hat because anytime the world economic forum claims that crises are coming they're going to do their best to create them create the problem offer the solution give up your freedoms and I will throw this in there real quick because I think this is of importance and I will go down this rabbit hole more when we get into what exactly they're talking about at Davos on a microscopic level however In their first day of their meeting, they did declare misinformation as a, quote, top global risk. Misinformation and disinformation are among the top global risks. They believe that over the period of the next two years and of the next decade, it's going to be one of the biggest problems of all. And so if you thought that censorship was going away because Elon Musk bought Twitter... I'm sorry to tell you that it is probably only going to get ramped up even more because they are not happy about that and they consider anything that doesn't come out of their mouths to be misinformation or disinformation. And speaking of that, we've flown under the radar and we've done quite well and we've only put ourselves on platforms that we were pretty sure we wouldn't get banned from. But should we ever go down from the platform that you're listening to us on, you can send us an email to down the RH at protonmail.com. Just simply say, put me on the list. And if you want, and we go down off the platforms, we will simply email you our episodes each week. That's it. We, we will never spam you. We're not going to give your emails away. We would never do that. But if you would like to continue listening to the show, we would just simply email you the link to the show. That would be it. All right, moving ahead. In what's going on today? Big pharma is seeking to inject livestock with mRNA vaccines. This, is according to Technocracy News and Trends, the pharmaceutical industry has been quietly at work for years now, concocting excuses and methods to inject livestock. Research project underway at Iowa State University titled "Novel mRNA Vaccine Technology for Prevention of Bovine Respiratory Virus." is developing mRNA vaccines for domestic cows. In Australia, the government there has fast-tracked mRNA vaccine development for cattle. Deputy Premier and Minister for Regional NSW Paul Toole said today marks an important milestone towards securing the vaccine technology that will protect Australia's 28.7 billion livestock industry. COVID-19 demonstrated to us that all possible avenues of developing vaccines must be explored and we will leave no stone unturned. Apparently, they've been putting this into black-footed ferrets and several other animals already, and now they are going to put it into cows. And a lot of scientists are sounding the alarm on this because if you did not take the mRNA shot... This will get it into you. And there is very little way you can tell whether the meat that you are eating has been injected with this mRNA or not. Once it's put into the cow, it goes into their system, and you know the rest. This is a clip that everybody needs to hear, I believe. This is from a 1980s interview. It's journalist Lewis Wolfe, an ex-CIA agent, John Stockwell he's talking about ways that the CIA influences and manipulates public opinion listen to this Uh, at any rate
2: uh, uh, this analysis that we made of the CIA's media operations disclosed among other things that they deliver through uh, CIA couriers um, ready to print or ready to broadcast news And I put that in inverted commas, uh, which is um, used by the media. Uh, And this is created uh, by the CIA. How often does the CIA manipulate the media in this way, plant stories, get their views in the media? Is this fairly common as a modus operandi for the CIA? It goes beyond your, in the the course of the past 30 years, it goes beyond your wildest imagination the extent to which the CI has gone to manipulate public opinion if you include the MH chaos program which was a billion-dollar program of setting up proprietary companies setting up student organizations so they could draw radical students in and do every kind of, of duplicitous manipulation of, of national student movements press propaganda Labor extensive formation of labor unions, funding of major labor unions with the objective essentially of manipulating the mind and attitudes of workers throughout the nation and the world a whole range of uh, of areas wherein the CIA provides briefings to uh, selected journalists and there are numerous cases where the CIA has, for example published uh, books and several thousand books were published in English by uh, by the CIA and this is documented in the church committee report they set up two hundred and fifty new services and wire services some of which not all but some of which are still uh, in the pocket of the CIA uh, and I think it's only fair to to say that uh, even some journalists who don't realize there are some who are winning but there are also some who do not realize that they're being uh, targeted by the cia uh... when they come home from a trip overseas they might talk to somebody and they don't realize uh, at least right away uh, who they're talking to and then it turns out that they've uh, um, been the source of information which was used by the cia
1: now of course the cia is in the united states but in every country there is an equivalent to the cia and using the socratic method of questioning Does it seem like the CIA is operating in the best interest of its citizens? Does it seem it is operating in the best interest of the government? Or is it a tool of the government? Are they operating outside of the government? Are they their own entity? And if they are, who are they answering to? Why would they be doing these things? And the CIA has been busted over and over and over again in the United States perpetrating all kinds of heinous acts upon American citizens. Why is this agency allowed to do this and why do they still exist? How is it that very, very few are ever held accountable for the things that they do? In Australia, they are concerned that they cannot stop misinformation in private conversations. Australian authorities have updated their misinformation code but remain unhappy that large end-to-end encrypted apps are still not, quote, regulated in a way they would find satisfactory. Despite the fact that the update does what various governments like the most, they leave a lot of room to interpret the rules as best suits them. Thus, harm is now communication that represents, quote, quote, serious and credible threat. And the previous definition is that this threat must also be imminent. However, that is no longer included in the wording. The code in question, which was published late last month, is said to be voluntary and concerns combating whatever is flagged as disinformation and misinformation. But now the Australian Communications and Media Authority, better known as the ACMA, is making it clear that that is not nearly enough. What they're concerned about is that Apple, Google, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, you can message each other and they can't regulate that. And so now they would like these social media platforms to turn over their data so that they can go through it and see if you're messaging others with misinformation. They say, quote, specifically the the push is to make those behind social media hand over information about posts and audience. The ACMA is particularly concerned with what they see as the lack of a, quote, robust framework that would expand the code to cover the propagation of myths and disinformation on messaging services that facilitate large-scale group messaging. They also talk about WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and so forth. False rumors. Scares. They want to know if (laughs) if you're messaging your friends. Maybe you're sending the link to this show, and that is some serious myths and disinformation. How does this play into the H.G. Wells essay? Switzerland is mulling ban on electric cars amid energy shortages. As a result of the ongoing energy crisis throughout Europe, Switzerland is now considering a ban on the use of electric cars for non-essential purposes. So force everybody into electric cars use propaganda because and, and get everybody out of their gas-guzzling, CO2-belching cars, you know, those horrible things that everyone likes to drive, force them into electric cars, and they've been quite successful over in Switzerland, and now they are considering banning them or at least partially banning them as part of a measure aimed to saving electricity. And ha- haven't we talked about this? There is no way that if everybody <laughs> bought electric cars, the grid could handle it. It cannot. And so it's much easier for them to regulate electricity, to shut it off, to shut them down, than it is to regulate gas. And that is part of The overall plan is to get you out of your car. Their suggestions are to ride buses and, of course, to take ride-sharing services, which, of course, is always the case. And eventually, the government plans on owning and operating all of those so you will be dependent upon them for your transportation. And it won't be at your leisure either. It will be timed. It will be. Have you ever taken a bus across town, had to make several connections, try to get somewhere? It's almost impossible. And because I don't want to let this go, I found this interesting. This is an article from the Gateway Pundit. And it is the World Health Summit member who admits that COVID lockdowns were political, not scientific. And it's a long video. I'm not going to play it on here. I want you to, if you're interested, to listen to it. They caught a, a member of the German West African Center for Pandemic Prevention on a hidden camera. And he said, in the heat of the pandemic, most of the decisions were not based on science. Like I said, they were just reactionary. Anything that would help. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, we can tell that some of those decisions is not backed by science. He said the vaccines do not stop the spread of the disease, but we know that now. At first, nobody knew it, so it was political, yes, but we think it helped in flattening the curve as well. He also said when you came to Africa, movement between two villages was not possible during the heat of the pandemic. So a decision has to be made, although we don't know the scientific basis for those decisions, people had to comply and we think it worked. He also says, but now with the benefit of hindsight, a lot of things that happened with COVID wouldn't have happened from what we know now. People were much more prepared than they were before. He was asked by this reporter, we know that the lockdown was bad for business, bad for children. Now that we know so much information, should we do the same for the next pandemic? He says, no, that's what I'm saying. A lot of the decisions were not backed by science. So they're starting to come out with the truth. That doesn't help the matter. And if you watch this video, it's interesting because he also talks about in there about how, and it's something I've been saying for a long time, how they watched how people responded and they took notes. I knew that was happening. You could tell it was happening. And so they are regrouping so that when the next one comes, they know who will do what and how to get to those people. This is another article I'm going to put in the show notes. It's from Summit News. FDA vaccine committee member calls for an end to mass COVID vaccinations. He says we should stop trying to prevent all symptomatic infections in healthy young people. This person's name is Dr. Paul Offit. He's a member of the U.S. FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee, He's also written for the New England Journal of Medicine, world's top medical journal. He has an op-ed titled, Bivalent COVID-19 Vaccines, A Cautionary Tale. He says, I believe we should stop trying to prevent all symptomatic infections in healthy young people by boosting them with vaccines containing mRNA from strains that might disappear a few months later. And I will put this in here. It's a lot of technical jargon, but basically he goes into a lot of the numbers and his conclusion is, We need to stop these mass vaccines. Now, this was a person who, you know, in the height of COVID would have been shut down, would have been called a lunatic, would have been banned. Now these people are kind of coming out of the woodwork now, years later, and saying, oh, yeah, I I either made a mistake or we've seen the data now and it's not a good idea. But remember back to the time. When these people were not allowed to speak and we were not allowed to question the science. And speaking of coming out and talking about (laughs) things that we knew at the time but weren't allowed to talk about, this is a one Bill Gates who would like to inform us, maybe we should have done things differently. No apologies here and particularly pay attention to what he says at the end about his children. There's a lot of
3: uncertainty about, for example, school shutdowns. Uh, to this day, you know, there's still arguments about uh, how many cases that avoided. It's pretty clear, because young people uh, don't get sick from the disease very often, uh, that we probably, if we knew everything we know today, we would have shut schools down a lot less than we did during this pandemic. I mean, yes, it's tricky for the elder adults. It's tricky uh, in a lot of ways. And you mean by that high school and under. Exactly. Uh, You know, for college, going virtual tends to work awfully well. The infection levels are a little higher as you get up into that age group. But K through 12, we have a learning deficit that will take us a long time to erase that. And sadly, it's a deficit where the inner city is where it's almost two years. Suburban schools less. Private schools, in some cases, uh, like my kids, almost no deficit at all.
1: Bill, you knew all of that. But you decided to run with it anyway because you needed to get your shots into everybody's arms. And you were the COVID expert. And you at the time, we're saying we need to shut everything down because that was going to help everybody. Interestingly enough, he says at the end, it didn't affect his kids because they're in private school. So I'm assuming his private school, like a lot of the elite private schools, they did not shut down. I don't know that for a fact, but interestingly enough, who, who shut down? Inner cities, major cities, all the school districts around the country and around the world, the low-income schools, the elite schools, they stayed open. Thank you, Mr. Bill Gates. And one last story, and I think this really goes into a lot of what we talked about early on with H.G. Wells and his predictions and his thoughts for the future. This is truly amazing. This is from Breakpoint.org. Denmark secretly inserted IUDs in Greenland's women for decades. According to the BBC, doctors in Greenland inserted IUD devices into several thousand local women without their knowledge or consent. In this article, they say this was not a one off action by a few rogue doctors. Rather, this was a result of a decades-old policy of the ruling Danish government. The Danish authorities noticed a dramatic growth in the native Inuit population, a growth ironically due to the wonders of modern health care. The decision was made to artificially limit the ability of Inuit women to have children. This decision was started from the now discredited theories about the, quote, dangers of overpopulation. The resulting government policies built on the fallacy that children are a burden and not a blessing were imposed paternalistically by the Danish on a population they believed unable to know or act according to their own best interest. This was done without the consent or knowledge of the Inuit victims of these bad ideas. See, they were the lowers, these Inuit women. They don't know what they're doing, they don't know how to raise a kid, they don't know how to control themselves. So the government had to step in and insert IUDs in them without their knowledge to keep these poor women from, from having children. According to this article, Convinced that Greenlandic women were constitutionally incapable of taking birth control pills, Danish doctors secretly inserted IUDs without informing their patients. A source told Danish journalists that doctors joked about Inuit women wanting treatment for swollen fingers only for them to leave the clinic with an IUD. Yeah, because it's really hard to teach a woman, an Inuit woman, to take a a pill. I mean, they're barely above a puppy. And you, you know you can't teach a puppy to take a pill. So these Inuit women are obviously... Way lower. And so we just have to take matters into our, we're helping they're helping them, you see. According to this, some four thousand five hundred Greenlanders, about half of all the Inuit women on the island were sterilized between nineteen sixty six and nineteen seventy. Further, an investigation is now looking into the practice up through nineteen ninety one, with some women claiming to be victims within the last five years. All for the, quote, greater good. I will put this in the show notes. Because, see, we have to get the population down. These lessers, these lowers, these people who don't know any better. They can't help themselves. Only we can, only the elites can help them, you see. And this has been done time and time again through history. And you say, well, I'm not an Inuit woman. Woman, it's not going to happen to me. Maybe the next thing are the unvaccinated. Or the wrong thinkers. Or the disseminators of misinformation or disinformation. Do you see how they're trying to divide people up into groups? And then you other that group. And you turn the rest of the crowd against them. Eventually the crowd's going to turn on you. Because they want to get it down to the elites. And the pawns. And if they just came through and full-scale with the military and just wiped out everybody, there would be an uprising and a fight back. But if they can get us to do it to each other, all the better. Now, I got a couple of emails over the, over the last week or so, and I wanted to address a couple of them real quick. Got an email about Sanya Labs, and this is a laboratory in New Mexico, And it is about this testing of new power, this generation technology. According to this article, researchers at Sandia National Laboratories in New Mexico announced they completed a successful test of new power generating technology, delivering electricity to the local grid using an energy conversion system that they say could drive major increase in efficiency for power plants across the U.S. and perhaps the world. And without going into a lot of the detail on it, Basically, what they are claiming is that they have found a way to make more energy out of less material. So for the first time, they're actually getting more out of less. According to this email, the emailer says, so I have a family member that works for Sandia Labs in New Mexico and was telling us about a Sandia Labs location in California that found a nuclear energy that apparently isn't dangerous. Oh, and not mention it's going to be really cheap or for free. And this emailer is wondering if we've heard of anything about this. They mentioned how great of a thing it was going to be as long as the government doesn't get a hold of it, if it hasn't already. Sounds like a new way for them to make us even more reliant on them, one step closer to a new world order. What do they mean by cheap or free? Nothing is truly cheap, nor is it free. I wonder what the cost is actually going to be. Might not cost money, but there will be a price and it will be high. Absolutely 100%. You are spot on with that. Nothing is free. There's always a cost to it. What you will have to give up, I don't know. And this is my worry with even with Elon Musk. I think Elon Musk has some great ideas and I think he is getting a lot of it. But Elon Musk isn't going to live forever, and at some point, he's going to either pass on his company or the the, uh, patents will expire or whatever, and it could get hijacked. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it has that potential. And the same thing with this. If this is true, and they've come up with this really cheap or possibly free energy and the government hijacks it, which will likely be the case, or some organization who is a coverer for the government, then for sure there will be all kinds of strings attached. And from what I understand, from what I'm reading this, it's in baby infancy, it's years, possibly a decade or maybe more away from actually being a reality. It was done on a micro scale. And so these are the projected hopes of theirs. This will be used on a wide scale thing. Sometimes that pans out, sometimes it doesn't. Only time will tell. But it is definitely something to be on the lookout for. We also received an email from Nicholas In this email, he is explaining and talking about how DARPA is experimenting on citizens of the United States. We have talked about that, and we know that. He says, they did it in the 50s through the 70s, and they're doing it right now. They are unregulated government bodies acting as dictators spending our money. That is true. According to him and according to website, the U.S. military industrial complex spent $890 billion this year alone. They opened up a biological sector in 2014, and he sent a link, and I'm going to put this in the show notes. It's called U.S. Atrocities, and it is quite fascinating. It's a timeline of a lot of the DARPA experiments on U.S. citizens. So if you have somebody in your life when you talk about this, and they say there is no proof of this, this is all conspiracy, put this in your file. It has links, it has verification for the LSD experiments, the experiments on veterans, the experiments on orphans, and it goes on and on and on. Their secret virus testing in the New York subway, a lot of these things we've talked about. It's quite extensive, it's a very well done page, and I would like to provide that to you. So go into the show notes. Uh, Look for usatrocities.webador.com, and it is titled U.S. History Tied to Human Experimentation. It's fantastic, and I thank Nicholas for sending that in. All right, before I get on out of here, I haven't done a book review in a while, and so I want to direct your attention to a book that I think you should all read. It is titled The Road to Serfdom, and it is by F.A. Hayek. It is a wonderful book. It's a classic work on political philosophy. If you've ever read Thomas Sowell, this is a great companion to Thomas Sowell. This this is probably the original Thomas Sowell right here. It's fascinating in the way that when he wrote this, this was post-World War II. It was originally published in 1944. Great Britain was at this crossroads as to how they were going to rebuild and where they're going to rebuild in a socialist style or in a free market or capitalist system. And F.A. F. A. Hayek, in this book, The Road to Serfdom, charts out both courses of these, takes them to their logical conclusions, and it is a fascinating piece of work. And it eerily shows a lot of what's going on today, this push towards socialism, the promises they make, Versus the reality of the situation. So I highly, highly recommend it. The Road to Serfdom, F.A. Hayek. And also, real quick, as a bonus, if you can get a hold of it, it's basically a pamphlet. It's a booklet. It's not very long. It's maybe 50 pages long. To go along with this book, The Road to Serfdom, I highly recommend Lenin on the Cultural Revolution. It's titled Lenin on the Cultural Revolution. It's by Vladimir Gorbanov. G-O-R-B-U-N-O-V. There's plenty of PDF files online that you can just either download it or read it on there. I have an actual physical copy. I highly recommend it. It's a really quick read, but it, again, it's a great companion to the road to serfdom, Lenin on the Cultural Revolution. It, too, explains a lot of how Lenin operated And what you're going to find out is that a lot of the Lenin tactics that he used during his cultural revolution there is what is being used today, right alongside with all the stuff from COVID. A lot of the things that came out of COVID are straight out of this cultural revolution and also a color revolution, which is different, but they borrowed from each other. So anyway, check those two out. Road to Serfdom, F.A. Hayek and Lenin on the Cultural Revolution by Vladimir Gorbanov. And I think they will be worthy additions to your library. All right, we'll be back on Sunday, Brandon and I. We look forward to that. Thank you so much for your time today. All the links are in the show notes. I hope you take advantage of that. And until then, have a great week. I'm Big D, and I'm out of here.